the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report. This is the show where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stallnecker, and I am grateful to have you with me today. Looking forward to a very helpful conversation about a very complicated issue. If you've been following the news, there are more news stories and there's more information coming at you than you can possibly handle. But you have probably seen, if you are watching as I am, pictures of ships, ships with supplies, ships with uh, goods for sale, sitting offshore with no ability to come on shore. We've been talking more and more in the news and even on this show a little bit about the supply chain issues and asking the question, what's causing these issues? Is it that the ships can't come to the shore because of the ports? Is it something related to trucking? Is it something that we don't understand what's causing it? This has become a very uh, politically divisive issue. It has become certainly a left versus right issue. And if you're anything like me, it's so confusing because I don't know who benefits, who's winning. What policies are being put in place that's causing this to happen? Why are we viewing it? What should we take away? What should we expect? We have folks telling us that uh, really the end of civilization as we know it is coming. Uh, Others who are saying, don't worry. What's the truth? And this is one of those cultural issues that we need good information to navigate. Thankfully, we have a great guest on with us today, someone who spends a lot of time thinking about this and doing his best to understand it, and who is very clear in his articulation of our path forward. Today, our guest is Tho Bishop. Tho is the assistant editor for the Mises Wire, which um, I'm going to ask him to talk about for just a second. He served as the deputy communications director for the House Financial Services Committee. He writes and speaks on the economy, government, and culture, and uh, today is going to help us work through a very complicated issue. Uh, So, Tho, thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate your time. Hey, glad to join you. Hey, if you can, before we jump into this topic, talk a little bit about Mises Wire and uh, what you guys do there. Um, I, I just found you yesterday in research for this conversation, but uh, man, so much great information. If you can talk about that for a minute, and then tell us your story a little bit, how you ended up you know, where you are right now. Yeah, well, the Mises Institute is a, you know, it's an organization that's played an incredible role in my life. Um, What's interesting, though, is that, you know, we're not really kind of a traditional think tank and that, you know, we're trying to you know, publish a bunch of policy papers and things like that. I mean, our main goal is to try to get people to think about the subject of economics mm. differently than the way it's taught in, you know, most schools, universities, et cetera. Because, like, one of the issues we have right now is, is that, you know, I think there's been this general awakening of how bad our experts are, yeah. right? <laughs> Dr. Fauci get things wrong, has, <laughs> sure. has you know, questionable financial ties, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we've had the same sort of problem of our elites within the economic system for a very, very long time. Yeah. And you know, that goes back to the Keynesian revolution and all that sort of stuff. And so what we do with the, the Mises Institute is we promote something that's called Austrian economics. It has nothing to do with you know, the economics of Austria. It's just, it's just kind of where the school was founded. Mm. And you know, these, have, these are you know, 
free market, you know, uh, uh, Lumen von Mises, for example, was our, our you know, who were our namesake. Um, what he understood was the role, for example, of the way that, you know, monetary expansion led to business cycles mm. um, that create this periods of booms and busts and financial crises that, you know, we've seen, you know, plague society for a very long time. And, and it's an entire different way of looking at the subject itself, rather than kind of a focus on mathematical modeling and predicting the future and kind of abstract, you know, mathematical formulas to try to create constructs where you can kind of replicate how human beings work in the world. So this is very logically, you know, kind of a deductive science. Um, uh, Henry Hazlitt, uh, Economics in One Lesson is one of the best introductory books out there. Uh, Mises.org slash one lesson. We, we're giving that book away free actually, if anyone's interested. Awesome. And so we're, we're in this dynamic, we're trying to teach kind of the fundamentals of a subject while also trying to comment on a day-to-day -day, you know, basis. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. Right, right. We got a lot of information. Um, you know, we try to make it relative to the current events. That's what we do at the Mises Wire, but we have hundreds and hundreds of hours of you know lectures and videos sure. and podcasts and free books to try to make anyone that, if you're trying to understand you know, how civilization has gotten to where it is now, I think understanding you know, how disruptive our, our understanding of economics has become yeah. is, is key to that. And I, it's, it's, a lot of people have bad images of you know, their high school economics class, the supply and demand charts, not trying to, you know, having a difficulty of applying right. it to the real world. <laughs> right. Economics in its truest sense is something that we use every single day. So that's, that's what good. we try to do. So you know what's crazy hearing you describe that? I remember sitting through economics classes in college and it's all mathematical formulas, it's all modeling, and depending on which side of the, uh, I'll say spectrum, whether it's political or whatever, you fall on, your model may be different. It's a lot like what we are dealing with with our experts now in science, right? Science, we think, is this thing. It's one plus one equals two. But, but because it's based on hypotheticals and theories and models, it's very hard to understand. So taking the approach of practically what does this mean for us today uh, is super helpful to folks. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, and, and you kind of see this a little bit on both the left and right, is there's this kind of dismissal on whether economics is a science itself. Right. And it's understandable when all of the quote-unquote right. economists get right. things wrong, you're right. like, well, what exactly are they selling? <laughs> right. and, and so we've, we've, we now perceive economics as kind of like, you know, ideological propaganda. You know, the, the purpose of an economist is to justify whatever the politician yes. or, or you know, political right. group wants right. to do. And no, like there, there's very real economic laws and realities that you have to reckon with. You can't just wish them away because yeah. of white paper. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, the supply chain issue and others, we're, we're coming, we're right now, we're reckoning with the fact, I think, that a lot of people with a lot of power in terms of economic policy, we're trying to wish we were, trying to wish away the world. Yeah, and explaining it away with, with math equations none of us understand. Uh, how did you get into this? What was your background that led into to this? Well, I grew up, you know, kind of just a, a traditional sort of Republican Party side, you know, I got active in campaigns in high school, yeah. you know, I was one of those nerdy kids. <laughs> Um, just a normal kid, yeah. active in political yeah. campaigns in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were you know, watching Bill O'Reilly every night in middle school, sure. and Alex P. Keaton sort of guy. <laughs> but, but then what happened, though, was, you know, the Iraq war, you know, was a failure, and I couldn't justify that anymore. So I kind of had a crisis of faith, right? Yeah. And then the economic crisis happened. And I, you know, at, at least with the Iraq war, you know, I could be, you know, loudly wrong or, mm. you know, change my opinion. I had no idea what to do with the economics. Right. But, you know. Right. And, and so that's where, you know, I started reading, you know, more about it. And, you know, you had the Tea Party Revolution sort of pop up, you know, kind of a few years later, 2010. That's where a lot of this sort of stuff came out in the mainstream. Um, the presidential campaigns of Ron Paul, 
who's yeah. one of the founding members of the institute. You know, that brought a lot of people mm -hmm. into the idea side of it. And, and so once I started reading, you know, this Austrian school tradition stuff, I started writing about it and I got a job uh, after the Tea Party Revolution. Uh, Spencer Backus, who's a congressman from Birmingham, uh, became chairman of the Financial Services Committee. I did some campaign work for him, yeah. sort of talking about all this sort of stuff, you know, you know, why Ron Paul, you know, why the Austrians, you know, understood there was a housing bubble and, right. and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, because of that, I was able to get a job in DC and, you know, I went from, you know, being at a coffee shop, uh, you know, over here in Panama City, Florida to, you know, walking the marble buildings of the treasury, yeah. you, know, of, of, you know, house buildings and, you know, having a hearing with you know, uh, uh, Geithner awesome. and these sort of people, Ben Bernanke and those sort of folks. So yeah. uh, that's kind of what, what brought me there. And what was interesting though, is that, you know, it, it's, it's astonishing just how little, not just you know, your, the congressman knows about these sort of topics, but like the, the staff they bring on, mm. they, they, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. you know, it was very much of an awakening. You know, I, I don't, don't know exactly what I thought prior to that, but yeah. uh, you know, just the lack of intellectual curiosity and stuff is something that got me by, you know, a little naive prior to. You know, it's funny. I was having a conversation this last week with, um, so I work for the Mighty Oaks Foundation. We have a veterans organization. Um, we've recently done a lot of work with an organization called Save Our Allies, which we stood up working with Afghanistan, refugee stuff. And so Mighty Oaks founder, Chad Robichaux, is, is the spearhead of that. And, and I was talking to him yesterday. He said, it's crazy. I don't know what I thought happened in congressional offices. He said almost word for word what you just said. But he said, these are good people. They want to do good things. They just have no idea how to get anything done. And that's been the frustration even on our side recently is these people want to. They just have no experts in the room that can help them get it done. And what's really a shame, like there, there was a wonderful woman named Hayward who was like kind of a moderate Republican, won a, a you know, moderate race in, in 2010. She was a doctor, ran against mm. Obamacare. And you talked to her one on one, she was wonderful. Like the yeah. only book that she'd ever read about economics was Economics in One Lesson. Right. The problem is, though, is that they put on the Financial Services Committee because it's a good fundraising committee, right? All, the, all that, you know, Wall right. Street money coming yeah. in. Yeah. And so then, you know, who does she hire? She hires someone to Wall Street because she thinks they know best. Right. Whereas she just had sort of the confidence that her own kind of common sense, you know, hey, wait, I'll, sure. I'll, you know, all this money that we're spending may not yeah. make sense to me. She <laughs> right. just kind of went by that gut instinct. Yeah. She was so much better than yeah. listening to Wall Street guy. Yeah. Yeah, there is uh, math so, involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so that brings us then to something that has been, um, I, I think it is a confusing issue, but I think it's definitely been obfuscated by those who want to defend themselves, and that's the current supply chain issue. Uh, a lot of predictions, Christmas, their shelves are going to be empty, kids are going to wake up and have nothing to open, <laughs> um, there will be an economic collapse, truck drivers will have nothing to transport. We look at images of ships offshore and wonder why they're not coming. Uh, I guess in Florida, they're starting to come on shore, but here in California, you, you go and you can see them off in the distance. So all these things are happening. Uh, can you kind of give us a thumbnail? We'll talk about specific policy, but what, what exactly is really happening? Is this something we should actually be worried about, or is it another political tool that's being used to you know, keep us at arm's length? Well, it, it turns out, you know, you can't simply turn on and off an economy mm. like a computer and yeah. expect it to reset. You know, there, there are real consequences right, here. Right, right. And, and so, you know, the, the problem is that this, this is such a multi-layered issue. And I think there's also kind of an agenda here to try to use the supply chain issue as a way of justifying a lot of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing, right, which right. You know, really is not connected. And, you know, it's, it's a you know, part, you know, a variety of these factors includes the fact that, you know, when you had manufacturing and different sectors shut down because of lockdowns and et cetera, et cetera, you, know, you have a backlog of specific parts and things like that, right? And so, you know, 
if, if you when you consider just how complex all these stages of production are, you know, if, if you're missing one piece halfway through the production line, it doesn't matter right. if production is ramped up in every single other aspect of that sure. good, you, you, you still need that one piece, right? Yes. And so, you know, that has created, you know, varieties of different disruptions out there. And when we're dealing with, you know, this globalized economy, you know, that, that adds just even more, you know, diversity to the political arrangements there. And so that has created issues on the actual manufacturing and production of goods mm-hmm. in certain areas. Not evenly, of course, you know, certain certain factors are going to be hurt more than others, but right. that's that's one aspect to it. Then, of course, you have just the logistics of moving things around. You know, you have a finite amount of, of capacity at that. Um, and then, you know, once you have that stuff moved to the capacity of the ports and then from the ports to the trucking stuff. And I know that, you know, you can see how there are a variety of different issues, for example, you know, concerns about the way that California has regulated the trucking side of yep. the, you know, that aspect of it, you know, is no doubt, but you probably place room and things at the margin, but I don't think that's the major issue there. One of the interesting things is that in spite of all of the images we see of all of these ships not docking, if you actually look at the port capacity, you know, ports are, fa- it's not that the ports aren't functioning. You know, the actual traffic, the actual move in these ports is, at yeah, peak capacity, like mm. yeah, higher than it has been before. And you see this also in other other areas as well. It's not, you know, so you know, this you know, globally, we're not necessarily seeing right now this sort of bottleneck issue that you would kind of believe. We, we do have a backlog just because there's a lot of stuff right. that wasn't getting out, but it's not being stopped there. It's just, you know, there, there was only so much you could get through what had already existed. So those issues are the issue. A lot of this, though, and the aspect that's not being talked about is the degree to which, again, this inflationary environment yeah. is ramping up a lot of, you know, you, you have a lot of, of industries that are rapidly buying up product because they recognize that in an inflationary environment, right, you want to get real goods for your money now because you right. do not ex- because you expect the prices to keep going in the future. Right. And, and so it's, it's interesting out there because, you know, the Biden administration, you know, their, their whole spin is, oh, well, you know, we're having these issues because the economy is booming right now and people are trying to buy as much as possible. And that's what's causing the issue. And it's like to your normal person, that's really not the case because your normal person right. is not doing great right now. Right, right. The, the, but there is kind of a dynamic where there's more money chasing these goods, but that's because the Fed's been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's and, and so this is the issue we're actually dealing with. And and what's terrifying is that you hear like the Federal Reserve, you know, and all these central bankers talk about this issue. And for one, like they're shocked, shocked that the supply chain was <laughs> as complicated as, as they, you know. Right, right. And, and but again, like they, they haven't recognized that, you know, they're the ones responsible for all of this. And so, yeah. again, that's why the expectations of inflation changes has gone on like, the, the way it has been, you know. And so, again, it, there's, there's so many different dynamics of it. But again, I think the inflation aspect of it is something that, you know, we don't, it, it's not talked enough about because yeah. again, you don't have the images quite as well as uh, you do with the shipping containers out on the coast of California. It, that's fascinating because, it, it, you know, the, the polarization of media, right? I mean, it's uh, on the right, and I follow a lot of folks on the right, it's, always pictures of the containers out in the ocean. It's always about truck drivers can't get into California because California is regulating contractors. It's always about the politics of moving things around. Um, But what you're saying makes so much more sense. (laughs) There is an actual economic reason that we're struggling the way that we are. So what what are the key policies on that side then 
that can either bring us back to where we need to be or that have gotten us to where we are? What are those decisions? Well, that's kind of the terrifying thing is that, so, you know, for example, people have been warning about inflation for a very long time. I remember when I was on the Hill in 2011, yeah. you know, I was going around saying, you know, you guys, you might want to buy some gold, you know, inflation's right. going to go crazy. I was one of those people and I was right. wrong. And, and, and so, you know, if we look back, you know, I think in order to understand why now it's so bad, we need to go back and see why, you know, post you know, 09, 010 wasn't as bad. And that's because, you know, back then we print up a whole bunch of money. We gave that money to banks, um, buying up a lot of toxic mortgages and all those sort of assets, right? Yeah. But then what we did is we paid banks not to lend it out, right? So right. we printed up a bunch of money, we gave it to the banks, we paid them not to lend it out, which was good for their balance sheet, right? Risk-free money there. Right. One of those <laughs> right. aspects that of those, you know, that, that didn't get quite as right. much attention as some of the bailouts, but also bad policy, right? And was also kind of insidious was that we were paying the banks not to lend it out yes. to like or normal people that could otherwise <laughs> use it, right? While at the same time subsidizing corporate debt. Now though, you know, 2020, we printed a whole bunch of money. Right. And you know, and, and again, scale is just ridiculous, right? You know, the chart goes up, money, your money printer goes burr, right? <laughs> and then we spin it as much as we could, right? We, we, we started giving it directly to people. We, we were giving it to, you know, these PPP loans to, to, to companies, right? We printed a bunch of money and we got it out there. Right. And, and what happens with all of this, and this is something that a lot of kind of American Fed critics miss as well, is that we weren't the only ones doing this, of course, right? You know, every other central bank, for the most part, follows our lead. And so when we do this insane sort of stuff, mm. everyone else follows. And so we, the, the amount of money that was created in 2020 was on such a ridiculous scale relative to 08, which itself was a ridiculous scale, right? right? And right. so like, again, we're dealing with an environment that, you know, we are, this is, this is not normal. And even more dangerous than this is if you look at like the record of the Federal Reserve and you see their public statements, you go back to 08, 09, they kept promising, we know how to make things normal again. And they mm. never did, mm. right? So they couldn't make things normal after 08, 09. Um, Jerome Powell, to his credit, kind of tried a little bit. He started letting, uh, instead of, uh, uh, you know, when, when debt, uh, when, when the Fed's balance sheet would have uh, kind of debt obligations kind of roll off of it, he stopped re renewing it. And so that was kind of a kind of a slow trend towards normality, but then the markets didn't like that. That's right. when Trump started retweet, yeah, started tweeting, you know, fire Jay Powell and that sort of stuff, right? You know, <laughs> right. we need easy money. Right. Um, so he was trying to do the right thing, didn't work out. Paul, you know, the politics of all this politics, is something that's yes. its own thing. And now uh uh so now we've we've now doubled triple yeah, we've we've doubled down, tripled down on it. And these people are showing they don't know how this stuff is really interacting with the real economy they don't have a plan for this right and that's what people need to recognize the people in charge have no plan for this and that's the scary thing i wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the mighty oaks foundation many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org 
To learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. So what what's the what will be the long-term impact of this? There is no plan. It seems like the boat is floating right now, but it probably has a gaping hole in the side that we can't see. When we think about things domestically like, you know, farming and things that are made here, um, disposable goods, stuff that we use, things that we need. We may not need, you know, Saki laughed when someone suggested we can't get treadmills. Um, I probably would have laughed too, honestly. There are some things that we want but we don't need but there are a lot of things we do need. What will be the impact of all of this on the things we need, food and, and clothing and, you know, some of those other things? I, you know, I've, I've been talking with some friends that are in kind of the food, uh, uh, you know, have some, you know, restaurant supply chain sort of stuff, and he, he's been you know, telling me what they're expecting prices are going to be quarter one, 2022, and it would, it would terrify. I mean, they are not, for, from that side of things, when it comes to, you know, food supply stuff, they are not expecting this to stop anytime soon. Right. And this was not transitory inflation. And, and, you know, so what I, you know, so, you know, we should be expecting these prices to continue. And, and, and you know, so, so some of those things out there, you know, now all those crazy people that were, you know, you know, hope, you know getting big freezers and, and storing right. food and all sort of stuff, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that you want to go and buy the, the you know, giant buckets yeah. of, you know, just out of water sort of stuff. They don't but, seem you know, could, they don't, they don't seem like the conspiracy theorists anymore, do they? <laughs> right. Because, but, but, you know, it's just that, that sort of thing where, you, you know, you're, you're, this is now a situation when your average American needs to start thinking ahead on not just financially in terms of savings and that sort of stuff, but literal supplies. Mm. Because again, you know, if, if it is, if, if we're not seeing right now markets responding to simply again a lot of those supply chain issues, and it really is just an inflationary issue, you know that's something that you know, it's not going to be fixed by getting all you know. It's not, it's not a bubble we're going to get over, right? It's not, it's not just you know you unplug, you know, un- unclog the hose yeah. and everything's going right. right. I, I think that we are we are should be expecting to use their phrase kind of a new normal and just you know dealing with the monetary side of all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um... If you were in the power seat and you could decide what we do next, <laughs> what what would you what would you do or what should be done? We've got midterms coming up. Uh, hopefully, some things will be shaken up. We saw even this week some things are starting to shake up a little bit. What are the right decisions right now that can get us back on track and maybe help us uh, avert at least some of the disaster we see on the horizon? Well, I think that the beauty of what America has is that. You know the 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 resources, the resources that we have, the the you know we have the capacity, uh, to, you know to 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 make life normal again, right? You sure. know, all, all the, the the factories and the workers, sure. and all those sure. things are there, right? Um, the so the issue is that we need to, what I would like to see Republicans do to address this issue is to create as many ways of protecting average Americans from the abuses of Federal Reserve policy mm. as possible. So again, I, I think that really, again, the, the current monetary regime is, I think, you know, the biggest issue that I, I think is often missing the populist right. And and there's so many different layers to this. Yes. Um, 
for, for what, like even like, you know, all the concerns about vaccine passports, right? And the security aspect of it. Well, guess what? They're already doing with the banking system, right? Know your lender law, you know, your customer laws, like the, the federal government will track you down with the banking system that the federal reserve controls, mm. right? Mm. You know, it, it, it was bank of America that was tracking down, you know, January 6th, you know, right. Right. conservatives. Right. And, and, and you know, ratting them out to the feds, right? Yeah. So that's a, so. So the, the degree to which they've already weaponized the financial sector, yeah, to expand their power against something we don't think about, right? I, 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 a lot in, right. when it comes to security concern. Um, this is also why they want to ban cash, and, and this is something else where, again, in terms of not a policy standpoint, but from like an individual perspective, uh, uh, cap, you know, actually holding physical cash, I think is going to be increasingly important because what we've seen is that when there is instability within the financial regime, they will you know, start you know, limiting the amount of what you can withdraw from ATMs and things, mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, we saw this particularly, if you look at the playbook, for example, at the Cyprus financial crisis, things like that, like that's, you, they, they always try to phrase that sort of stuff, stuff up. Having, you know, they, what you can do with physical cash is get around a lot of these controls sure. that they're trying to you know, sure. implement. Um, and then, you know, one of the biggest things, I mean, what's interesting is that and something that came up in 08, 09 was Bitcoin was del deliberately, you know, created as an instrument to try to deal with, again, this corruption of, you know, central, you know, the, the access yeah. of, of centralized government power yeah. and financial power. Um, what I would like to, what I think we should be doing is trying to encourage normalizing owning non dollar assets as much as possible yeah. so yeah. that we because you know I, I don't think there's a way to easily solve this right there, there's not like hey if if you know ron DeSantis becomes president in 2024 and he puts this one really really smart guy in the fed then we're good it's all good yeah right right be, you know, you know it's, it's it's not going to be like yeah, that this right. is not something that has a political solution what you what you what we're going to have to do is we're going to change a bad system with a better system and we need to create as many the opportunities to give as many lifeboats as possible and, and I think one of the good things is that once you recognize, again, you as an average, you know, as an average person, once you recognize that again, we have debt that the government's never going to pay off, and we have a monetary regime that just keeps inflating away stuff, or you just, just keeps you know, adding, then you can recognize they're not going to fix it. So you know, you you can acknowledge that okay, if we're expecting the, the price of the dollar to go down, then you as an individual that can you know change the way that you deal with debt. For example, your dollar denominated debt. Right, um, uh, the, the 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 Howard Ramsey's the show, show like the, the conservative you know credit cards bad for people they, they'd be they'd be right in kind of a normal yeah. ethical society but we don't have that right <laughs> right sure because, because we, we our, our system subsidizes yeah the, you're taking on debt we yeah. subsidize short term <laughs> right right yeah we we subsidize bad decisions and irresponsibility yes yeah and it's and, you know, it's, it's like you have to embrace it and, and you can and, and then what you do is when you, you want to put your savings to things the government can't touch. And, and again, that's, a, that's kind of a micro thing. The policy aspect is just trying to eliminate the taxes, trying to make sure that federal authorities don't try to come in and, and undermine um, the ability for normal people to have access to crypto. We saw that kind of play out with the degree to which, you know, the, the Robin Hood yeah. pushback against yeah. the, you know, the game sucks. You know, the, the natural impulse is to defend the major institutions that are right. screwing over everyone right. <laughs> right. at the expense of the little guy, right? right. So we can't allow that. Yeah. And the good thing is thinking with this environment where the kind of the political realignment, you know, on the political right is kind of the recognition that, you know, we are the workers party now. We are the average mm. person party now. 
you know, this is the sort of stuff where, again, if we can protect the ability for individuals to financially opt out of their corrupt, broken system, uh, you know, obviously we're not going to start using Bitcoin for everything tomorrow morning. Again, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's 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 not realistic. But it's but another we, hedge against yes. a lot of these other things. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. again, we have to look over. We have to look out for ourselves to the degree that we can, our communities and our states. Because Washington D.C. is not going to do that for that's us. That's right. That's good. Uh, this is such an important issue, and there's so much more to it. Though, so where can people follow you and and the work that you're doing and your writing and speaking? Uh, like you said, this is something most people just kind of stay away from and go, I can't understand it. You're putting it in terms people can't understand it. Where can they find you and follow what you're doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Um, we've got a great, at Tho Bishop on Twitter is where I'm pretty active right now. Mises.org, we're bringing in the Mises Institute. Great. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there looking for like educational material with kids now with right. what's happening in homeschool. I, I helped write a, um, a series, Economics for Beginners. Awesome. Um, kind of very short, you know, simply animated sort of videos yeah. on that. And you can find that at begineconomics.com. Great. Awesome. So thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. I, I'd love to uh, have a discussion on this later. This is yeah. not something that's going to go away, so let's plan on doing it again sometime. Yeah, we would love to. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. When it comes to issues like the supply chain and economics, these issues that impact every one of us directly and specifically, <laughs> I'm glad for people like Tho that think through this and that uh, really do their best to break down the parts and articulate clearly not only what is happening, but what we can do. So much great information. I would love to have Tho back on, and uh, hopefully we can pull that together. I, I think on supply chain and other economic issues, he can help us think clearly through these things. Uh, but to our topic today, to the supply chain, to what can be expected, here are your takeaways. Here is today's situation report. Uh, number one, we know there's a problem, and certainly there is. Uh, it's a problem, as Tho mentioned, that can't just be turned on and off. The economy has so many layers and so many pieces, one decision impacting another. You can't turn it on and off. There's not one decision that will fix it, and there is going to be a long-term consequence to how this issue is being handled right now. There is a problem, and again, it's important to acknowledge there is a problem. But the second takeaway for me, at least in this conversation, is understanding the problem is not related to left <laughs> or right. There have been bad policies for more than 20 years that have led us to this crisis moment. Now, again, if you are staunchly on the right or staunchly on the left, you would disagree with every part of that last statement. But this is not about one administration or another. It's about bad economic policy for many, many years and for several administrations. We got here because of bad decisions that have been made for a long time. Also important for us to understand if we want to think clearly and then know what to do next. That what to do next is the third part of our uh, situation report today as we consider what can we do. We need to realize that the government who over the last 20, 25 or more years has gotten us into this position is not going to be able to fix this in the short term. Hopefully decisions will be made, things will happen. It won't be fixed in the short term. So, as with so many other issues, we need to take personal responsibility to prepare, diversify financially, put our savings in areas where the government has no access, do things that can hedge our lives, our livelihoods, and our survival in many ways against what may happen down the road. Be prepared. 
And then on a much larger level, political level, if you will, we need to see more protections for the consumer. There need to be more ways to protect the consumer from this government overreach through economics, through financial policy. So much needs to be done, but thankfully, again, as with so many other things, we've got a little bit of time if we're willing to take the steps now to prepare for what may be a difficult road ahead. I believe things are going to get better. I believe that there are good people who are going to do the right thing, but we know that good people, as good as they may be, are still imperfect. So we need to do all that we can to be prepared. Thankful for that conversation, and I hope that you are as well. Uh, Again, it always comes back to this issue of personal responsibility. Stop looking to other people to take care of you. Do your best to understand. That's why we try to give you the information you need to navigate this culture that's constantly changing. But with that information, do the best you can to take care of yourself. Thankful to have the time with you today, and look forward to talking to you next week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.